This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. First up, we go back to the beginnings of Bursay. So at this point in time, I think Bursay almost needs no introduction, right? They've become something of a mainstay in our political scene. But back in 2006 or prior to 2006, the call for a clean and fair election is something that had been percolating for some time but hadn't yet coalesced into a movement, which is what Bursay turned out to be. So they are a coalition of NGOs formed in 2006. The main agenda is to seek reforms of the current electoral system to ensure free, clean and fair elections. Um, the very first Bursay rally, I think some of us um, may remember being there or covering it. Um, that was on November 10th, 2007. And it's been seen by many as a turning point in Malaysian politics. So I think the person more qualified to talk about this is the one who researched this himself. Uh, journalist Danny Lim, who will be joining us shortly, uh, essentially went back to the beginning, spoke to various key figures in the first iteration of Bursay and wrote a book called We Are Marching Now, The Inside Story of Bursay 1.0. Uh, Danny is a freelance journalist who has worked with the BBC, Al Jazeera, CNN, The Edge and The Sun, uh, also an observer of um, local politics. So um, some very interesting stories contained in that book. Uh, let us know what do you remember of Bursay from when it first began. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this with Danny Lim. So keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM eighty nine point nine. Best flipping moments, BFM eighty nine point nine. It's 5.12. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about the beginnings of Bursi because of a book that's recently come out. It's called We Are Marching Now, The Inside Story of Bursi 1.0, written by journalist Danny Lim. Uh, let us know, what do you remember of Bursi from when it first began? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, voice note or WhatsApp us zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Danny Lim, journalist and author. Danny, let's jump right in. Uh, talk to us about what prompted you to write this book. Okay, the book came about because uh, I didn't want to sing Bursay's praises. Um, in early 2013, uh, a, lo- a local magazine approached me to write uh, kind of a celebrity profile on Bursay because they were giving an award to the movement collectively. Um, but I had no interest in doing a puff piece that reflected on its achievements. Um, so I, I gave them a, a, a counter-proposal. Uh, let me do a story that took a behind-the-scenes look at Bursay's origins and operations. Uh, because by, by then, uh, it was really 2013, they, were, they already had uh, three big rallies. But I, I realized there were a lot of misconceptions about Bursay in the public sphere. Uh, one of the major things it was, uh, was that it was being hijacked by politicians. Um, I knew just enough as a journalist to know that that wasn't quite right. But I didn't know precisely how and why. Um, so... So I guess uh, I wanted to discover things about Bursay that people hadn't noticed. And I wanted uh, to focus very much on the decision makers. And so when I, as I continued uh, working on the article, I conducted more interviews, I gathered more material. Um, I found that I, I, was, I was completely captivated and um, fascinated by the personalities 
of these uh, politicians and activists and also their, their stories. Um, I mean, I, 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 I had no sympathy for them. Uh, as in, I, I, don't, I don't really have a sympathy for politicians, but I had a lot of empathy for them. Um, I, I understood why they did what they did. And um, I was fascinated by the diversity, their personalities, their backgrounds, the weird twists of fate that um, led them to cross paths. Um, I was uh, very intrigued by the debates and tensions between them, uh, the kind of compromises they had to make with each other, and with themselves, um, because the, through as as they try to build this movement, uh, they're constantly they're colluding, but also constantly colliding, and it's very messy. And sometimes you wonder how in the world did these people band together? I mean, uh, so I mean, overall, I would say the real driving force behind the motivation to produce a book after I finished the article, well, and. Uh, the motivation bordered, I would say, bordered on the voyeuristic rather than the intellectual. So the thing is, right, and this is something we said earlier on as well, at this point, Bursay has become something of a mainstay. And if you look it up online, there's a lot of articles that talk even about what happened. Um, you can go back to archives and things like that. So um, what makes the book unique from the other accounts we get online? Yeah, um, Quite simply, I, I couldn't find any account that had the depth of the behind-the-scenes material that I had. That, uh, the accounts I found were mostly two types. Uh, testimonials by participants talking about their rally-going experiences or academic studies that delve into like, uh, the philosophical underpinnings of the movement or reflected on its wider political impact. I mean... Even uh, there is uh, a very authoritative uh, academic book on Bursay, uh, which is a thesis by uh, Dr. Ku Ying Hui. And um, even when I read that, I found that it had very little in common with the material that I had found through my interviews and research, uh, because my book takes a very behind-the-scenes perspective that I, I, didn't, I couldn't find elsewhere. I mean, um, what I was investigating was like, what were their plans? How did, they, how did the decision-makers arrive at the key decisions that shape the movement. Uh, and, and I also wanted to know like their debates, the arguments, the conflicts that led them to make those decisions. You know? So basically, I was presenting a narrative of how Bursay was created and cultivated and uh, basically how it, I, I wanted to tell it through the eyes of the insiders and uh, decision makers. So tell us about the process of researching and writing this book. What was it like putting it all together? Oh gosh, <laughs> uh, you, it was an, a very long process. Uh, it, it took too long, actually. Uh, from the time that I wanted to do the book, uh, I knew I wanted to do the book sometime in 2013 after I finished that article for the magazine, uh, to actually finishing the book earlier this year. Um, I, I mean, when I finished the article in 2013, I thought like, okay, I really done the kind of like foundational research for the book, right? But each subsequent interview I did, gave me a whole load of new information, a whole load of leads to explore. And the thing that people forget, uh, especially comparing uh, the, the later parts of Bursay, when uh, there was the, let's say, Bursay 2.0 on, onwards, right? Uh, at least in the public discourse, there was always kind of like a dominant personality, a singular dominant personality, the chairperson like Ambika and Marachi and so on. But especially in this part where, where the origins of Bursay, the early part of Bursay, was that it is really a, 
a really a broad-based collective movement. Um, and along the line of all the different facets of the movement, there was a lot of different key decision makers and influential personalities. And I really wanted to find out how did they come together. And I ended up also delving into a lot of personal and political histories that stretch as far back as the 1970s, uh, even the Ops Lalang in the 1980s, Reformacy in the 1990s, and so on. And I wanted to see how all this each event influenced the, uh, the, the next event and how they all basically came to this point where somehow all these different, different type of people came together in roughly 2005, 2006. Uh, and that's how I ended up doing uh, interviews with 77 people in total. Um, these interviews took up on average uh, one to two hours. There was even one that was like crazy nine hours in total. Um, and most of this was done very intermittently, la, I have to admit, uh, from 2013 to 2017. Um, I only seriously started uh, the process of digesting all this 2018-2019 and writing from 2020 onwards. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to excuse myself, but there, there are plenty of lengthy interruptions in between because of, for very personal reasons, la. So uh, could you tell us maybe about some of the highlights at the time when you look back on Bursay 1.0, right? What were some of the notable things that happened? Okay, um, that question is a bit like asking uh, which is my favourite child, you know. Um, I, I would, I mean, I, I, okay, uh, in the book, uh, there's a, you can, uh, I can cite like, for example, the, the, there was a fail uh, and very pathetically attended street protests against electoral fraud just after the 2004 general election that, uh, that very few people, even in Bursay, could remember. Um, there was the 2005 Port Dixon workshop, uh, which the ringleaders of Bursay uh, considered that as the moment that, not only was that the moment that Bursay was born, uh, it was also the uh, at the same time, uh, Pakatan Rayat was born in the same place at the same time. Um, not many people remember um, that the most violent incident in Bursay's entire history did not happen in any rally. Uh, it actually happened even before the first rally, uh, where two people suffered gunshots, uh, gunshot wounds in September 2007. Um, there, was, um, there was also the moment when uh, Bursay facilitators, one of the Bursay facilitators secretly recorded the then EC chairman, uh, Tansri Abdul Rashid, allegedly uh, challenging them to meet the Agong, which, well, the, uh, which they cite as like, okay, this is the moment that, okay, you challenge us to meet the Agong, then we will meet the Agong. Um, there were, I mean, I, I love listening to all the debates about their, and the conflicts that they had, like, oh, should we even have this rally uh, because there were a lot of people that was had a lot of uh, apprehensions about it. Uh, and should we even send a memorandum to the Agong? Uh, oh, what, why are we choosing the color yellow? You know, um, the technical committee, this, this very clan, uh, had this very clandestine last meeting just a few hours before the rally uh, at at Makam Palawan, uh, next to Masjid Negara, that no one, no one knew about. And this is where the real secret uh, tactical plan for the rally was decided. Uh, you have stories like uh, the rally itself. Uh, I mean, you have stories like how Masjid Jame 
uh, the group at Masjid Jamit was used as kind of like the, what I call the tactical ace in the pack, uh, or even like how the Pasar Seni group was like used. Uh, if I was to describe it as a heist movie, uh, I would say like, oh, these are the sweet talkers distracting the guards while their accomplices sneaked in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And who are some of the key political figures behind the movement uh, who have perhaps been overlooked and what kind of impact did they have on the movement? Yeah, to what extent they were overlooked, that can be debated. But okay, I, one of the names that people uh, yeah, don't associate with per se is uh, Johari Abdul. Uh, not to be confused with Johari Abdul Ghani, who is a uh, Amno guy, but the Johari Abdul is a PKR uh, man today. Uh, he was a former Amno man. He was a former Bureau Tata Nagara director. He was a former National Security Council member. Uh, and he was the de facto overall commander of the rally and regarded as the mastermind behind the tactics that made the first rally successful. Um, there are people like uh, Faisal Mustafa, uh, who was very influential behind the scenes, grooming Berse in his infancy. Uh, he was basically the facilit- one of the major facilitators that, um, that tried to convince a lot of NGOs across the board to come on board Berse. And also he was, had a very influential role in the rally itself that, uh, where he, he because of his role, uh, which I would suggest that I, I would I wouldn't want to make it. Uh, I wouldn't want to spoil the book yet. Uh, but basically, it's a uh, that's why he couldn't attend the rally. He was not allowed to attend the rally because he had a very important role. Um, and what what interesting thing about Faisal Mustafa is that um, he could have in two thousand eight, uh, if things uh, had panned out a certain way, if he had made certain decisions. Uh, he could have been the Menteri Besar of Perak uh, from in 2008. Um, the, and, uh, okay, Teresa Kaur is well known, uh, but often not, I would say, given as much credit uh, as perhaps her public image um, seems to suggest. Um, because essentially, without her connections, there might not have been a Bersay, and or even a Pakatan Rakyat. I mean, the... The think tank she created uh, was the secretariat of the of Bursay. The one of the major guys leading, uh, kind of like facilitating uh, Bursay, Liu Chin Tong, was hit her political aid. Um, in fact, uh, the election observation trip to South Korea, um, where where she attended, uh, is where the idea for the electoral reform workshop uh, came and. It was at that workshop that what people consider as the kind of like starting point of Bursay. And in fact, not many people know about her link with uh, Dr. Syed Azman, Syed Ahmad Nawawi, who that time was with PASS, and how uh, because of their relationship, uh, their academic relationship, uh, you could say that without that academic relationship, there wouldn't have been the kind of relationship between PASS and DAP that at that time seemed impossible, but became uh, came to fruition in 2008 when they were together in a uh, in a coalition of uh, Pakatan Rakyat. Uh, I mean then of course there are people like uh, Sivarasa Rasia and who came up with the name for Berse, uh, Dr. Zukif Ahmad which yeah a lot of people know him as now yeah uh, the former minister of health but uh, he was very much influential uh, behind the scenes as one of the I would say like uh, providing the kind of the intellectual um, uh, heft of Bursay, especially in the early stages. 
So the thing is, right, when Berse first emerged, it was at the time really controversial. It left a lot of Malaysians divided between where to stand, uh, what to do. But those things aren't necessarily true today, I think. Um, how has the movement evolved over the years and what role does it play today? I mean, firstly, I would just like stress um, um, this book is a completely independent endeavor. I wasn't, it wasn't initiated or commissioned by any organization or party. Um, it's completely my idea. Um, uh, I also want to stick in the caveat that, that I, I don't represent Berset. I don't speak on behalf of Berset, you know. And, and also, I'm not a political pundit and analyst or scholar. Um, but um, if I was to say, like, um, where it was, how it has evolved, it's evolved from a, a project that was basically initiated by the political parties, uh, especially the opposition political parties, um, and with the collaboration of civil society. And then it kind of like moved towards uh, real civil society leadership. Um, and then there was some, tra the transition had a, a bit of uh, tensions where there was this tug and pull between the uh, political parties and civil society. And uh, how it has evolved to, over the years. So like now it has become a, a kind of like a, a strong, very strong pressure group that um, has become a, a broad enough umbrella for many, many different groups with uh, quite a diverse uh, cause, a range of cause, causes um, that feel that, okay, uh, Berset is an effective enough channel for us to, to kind of like push for our causes. So like, that's why like, I mean, at the very start, you had, uh, first rarely, it was really just electoral reform, electoral reform, electoral reform. Uh, then you can see over the, 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 the next few rallies, especially uh, Berset 3, Berset 4, uh, you start to see like groups like um, uh, environmental groups, the anti-Linus uh, anti movement. Yeah, the 1NDB issue suddenly became a, 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 an issue for uh, uh, where people expressed it uh, in, in the Bursi rallies and therefore it became an anti-Najib uh, movement in some, in some parts. Uh, you, get, you had Islamist groups who found like, okay, I'm comfortable being here and, and channeling um, my, uh, my uh, causes here. And you also had LGBT groups who like, okay, at the same time, who felt like, comfortable being under the umbrella. So that's how, how broad-based uh, Bursi had become. Uh, and today, uh, yeah, now now it's pushing for uh, parliamentary causes. It's, it's actually engaging with parliamentarians across both sides, uh, so which is very interesting to see. So what takeaways would you like people to have after reading this book? Firstly, as I say, uh, humans are messy. Uh, politics is messy. Uh, we definitely know the coming elections will be very messy. Um, so with regard to this book, as much as my writings try to shed some light and bring clarity to all this murkiness, uh, I also think we should learn to accept, uh, if not even embrace the messiness. And maybe me personally, I've gone a bit too far into actually enjoying the messiness. Um, so yeah, my, saying one of the main motivations behind this book, and perhaps... Uh, the, the main takeaway I hope people can get from reading this book, uh, even though I don't necessarily believe that you need, uh, uh, readers need to have some big takeaway. But of course, I, I want it to be an interesting and an absorbing read. But I hope people have, uh, also have a better understanding 
uh, and empathy uh, for the kind of uh, precarious uh, balancing act in politics uh, that will often involve like making all kinds of complex compromises uh, with other people and with yourself and also making all these odd alliances with very unlikely people. I mean, all this is inevitable. It happens when you try to effectively engage in the political process. Danny, thanks for speaking with us. That was Danny Lim, author of We Are Marching Now, the inside story of Bersay 1.0. You can find it in most local bookstores uh, and you can also find it online. Do share your thoughts with us. What do you remember of Bersay from when it began? You can call us, WhatsApp us, send us a voice note, tweet us. And now the news. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.